This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. And welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast, which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, PD Pob. I'd like to introduce Jeff in Control Robinson as my co-host for this episode. Well, hello, and I'd like to introduce Pablo as my host for this episode. And my very, very special guest, David Armand, TO of the Renegade Open. And I would like to introduce my brother from another mother. The one and only chocolate mustache, Petey Pop. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, the one and only chocolate mustache. I think that's going to be my new call tag when I beat people up in Call of Duty on Xbox. I'm just joking. Yeah. I don't play Call of Duty. No one plays that oh, game anymore. That's true. <laughs> All right. Moving on. It really on. is. Today, we're going to be covering the Renegade Open. And I also had a chance to interview the London GTTO and GW playtester, Zach Becker. We had a great time. We talked about preparing for large mega events like the LVO, Nova, and his London GT, which actually hit 300 players registered, which is crazy. And how preparing for those events is different than preparing for smaller but still very large events like the Renegade Open or like the Iron Halo. So there's a a difference when you're preparing for those events. uh, Jeff, do you have any insight into that, being a competitive player who attends all of these big events uh just insight into traveling for warhammer well just insight into uh preparing for a super mega global event like the Mm. lbo versus preparing for something like warzone atlanta or war games con i think the biggest thing for me um and this is going to sound redundant because i know you spent a lot of time last episode talking about this but like do not leave home without having had six people check your list because when you travel I think there, I mean, if it's like a casual RTT nearby and you're up a five points or you forgot something or there's, you know, something happens, I think everyone kind of looks at each other and goes, oh, okay, well, that happens. Shoot, you know, whatever. It's just a casual tournament. But when you travel, when you pay money, you get a hotel and you go and it's a bigger tournament with more prestige, bigger players, other people doing the same thing. And I think that's the big thing here, right? Like if I accidentally take an illegal list and I cheat out Ganyo or some of these other hyper competitive players that also spend a lot of money to get there then that becomes a really big issue, right? That becomes a real big problem. So just make sure your list is absolutely legal. And then um, the other the other aspects, I guess, would be like make sure and socialize. Warhammer is a social event. We're losing money. Nobody's traveling around with a NASCAR jacket where they're sponsored by 17 people and rolling in the dough. We're all just there to have fun and, and hopefully win some accolades and, and uh, compete. So make sure and socialize, get out there, have some dinners with people, bring a legal list and have fun. Nice. Okay. Before we move on, I'd like to make one 
public service announcement real quick, uh, stemming from some arguments online recently and just in general, general you, you know, unrest in the 40K community. Don't forget to thank your local TOs. Even if you don't agree with how they run things, too often people in this community, they disrespect each other online, and that applies to talking negatively about TOs, people who they have never met and who work very hard to grow this community. So I know for a fact I wouldn't have a lot of friends that I have today if it wasn't for the men and women who worked hard to put on these great events for us to enjoy. So and that's just all. A, a quick counterpoint, though, like conversely, do the opposite. Hate the TOs, throw eggs at them if you, if you get the chance, you know. Uh, they got thick skin. Just do it. Just, just do it. Okay, Jeff. Jeff that's uh, Jeff. Reese mantra. in particular. If you see Reese, just give him a little gut punch. Ask him why he killed Tao. You know, they love that kind of stuff. No, I, I mean, I'm serious. I like what Pablo's saying. It actually, like, like in the spirit of Warhammer again, tos even when they put on tournaments, there's this kind of funny, like the like if you put on LVO or like some of these big terms or or the Renegade, there's like I think there's people that believe they just make millions of dollars doing that or something. They, <laughs> They don't. Oh, God. Uh, not at all. It's it's a labor of love. They make some money, I guess, and, and David can talk more about that because he's actually the expert here. But for the most part, it's so that we can all do what we love. So, yeah, just keep that in mind. And, and it's not even like tell them you love them. It's also in part when you're mad and they rule against you. Don't actually like say, fuck you, I hate you forever type of thing. Like keep in mind that, you know, it's it's all supposed to be for fun. So just try to keep it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Try not to divide the community. Uh, David, you're a TO. Love you, buddy. Appreciate everything you're doing. Tell us about the Renegade Open. So uh, this year we had 105 at registration with 96 show up. Uh, nice. And another uh, 15 or so dropped throughout the course of the weekend. So, you know, we were, we were sat around the usual 15% drop rate that I've seen most uh, events go through. Mm-hmm. Um this year in total, though, the Renegade Open hosted 21 different events and had 439 unique attendees. Uh, we moved out of Fantasy Flight uh, Games Event Center this year, sadly, to the Crown Royal Plaza Hotel uh, in West Minneapolis. And it is a huge place. Uh, we went from using 3,900 square feet at FFG to a little over 12,000 square feet right uh, at this event space. So, you know, more than tripled our space and almost doubled our numbers. So, Congrats. you know, woo, ah, that, that part was awesome. The logistics of it, however, is a damn nightmare. Ooh, let me tell you. Yeah, you're, uh, you're graduating from tournament organizer to event organizer now, which is a big step. Uh, it's a huge step. A little bit bigger one than uh, we truly, like, gut feeling appreciated. Uh, we thankfully uh, have worked closely over the years with uh, staff members from Adapticon, from Nova, from uh, LVO, through uh, Reese and uh, yourself, and et cetera. And it was just, you know, uh, you know, we had, we went in knowing that there were certain things that had to be done, a certain number of volunteers that had to be made. But man, even even then, when you go from training to live fire exercise, it is always a totally different ball game. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, we were a little sad on the numbers uh, for Age of Sigmar this year, but it seems like a lot of events have been struggling with that, which is unfortunate because Age of Sigmar is still a wickedly baller game. Like everything everyone loves about 40K, guess what? Think of who had it first. It was Age of Sigmar. Please go play this game. Don't let it die. It is freaking amazing. It is totally fun. Uh, our guy who ran it is currently number one. Age of Sigmar in the world, uh, Joe Cryer. He's been 
super hype man. He's been traveling all around the United States trying to get people to come up. He's on like every single board on the planet. This dude is the hype machine for Age of Sigmar and uh, we love every part of his efforts and I, I hope to God that his efforts and everybody else out there in the community can just make that game grow again. Right. So he is a, he is indeed a wicked baller. I know Jeff, Joe, I know Joe personally. Um, so moving back to 40 K, tell me about the top table who, who played in the top table. Tell me about the intrigue. And, uh, you guys did go into the bracket system that Nova did, which, which I actually like, uh, because it gives everyone something to play for even after they've lost maybe a crushing loss that, that took them out of contention. So I like that. So tell me about the, the top bracket drama and intrigue. So this, uh, this is our fifth year and it is the, also the fifth year that we've done the bracket system. Um, we've done it since our inception and we break it down into eight man brackets afterwards so that everybody doesn't matter what skill level in, of the game that they're at. They get to be competitive at all levels of the game and still have a shot at getting, walking away with some pr- sweet prize support, maybe have a lot more fun games with people that are more their skill level or maybe, you know, their list wasn't quite right for the meta and now they're with other people who have a similar list and those games can be a lot more fun. The top bracket is, of course, always going to be a hyper-competitive slugfest where those guys are literally just grinding it out and seeing who can score the most points in those games. And this year was no exception. Uh, our ultimate winner this year was Aaron Along, and he he played some fantastically masterful games against really tough opponents this year. Uh, as, you know, as a, for instance, in the first round of the bracket, his first round, that opponent was Steve Boatwright. Steve is no slouch in this game. He's been around the table for a long time, and that game was a total slugfest. Uh, Aaron managed to pull out a win based on the primary objective at the last minute and took it uh, from there. Uh, after that, he faced off against uh, Sam Henley, who is also you know a really well known player, and he's that game. That game literally came down to. The last die roll on the la- on bottom of four, when just before time ran out, and Aaron managed to get his uh, last infantry squad to go far enough to claim the objective and win the game. Nice, and I love those kind of games. It was it was actually a fantastic game to watch because both he and Sam just nuked the crap out of each other's heavy hitters right away, and all that was left on the table was infantry for two and a half turns of the game, and that was it. Kind of on and that so, note, how, how did the Shadow Sword do in his list, actually? Because that's pretty interesting. We saw Brett Perkins tried something like that at uh, SoCal. SoCal, but it didn't work out so well for him. How was the Shadow Sword at your guys' tournament? The Shadow Sword at our tournament turned out to be a pretty clutch unit for a lot of uh, the Imperial side players, since they don't have access to the double Primarch. Um, Ayrton was very good at using the uh, large number of large line of sight blocking terrain that we provide our players. Uh, we have four pieces of very large, and by large I mean they are a foot by a foot by usually six or seven inches tall. Nice. It's just pure line of sight blocking terrain. So he was usually able to hide his shadow sword behind one of those and then sneak it out and then snipe out a Primark just right away. So uh, having the right terrain actually helps make units like those, which usually uh, perform very poorly in an open field where yeah. long-range anti-tank fire can just have its day with it. 
right? Because it's it's still you know a knight effectively to try to kill, yeah. right? So yeah, and that's something know. that's something that that you that's always important to consider, especially when you get to these large global events. Is those big events like Nova, for example, Nova has standardized terrain, so you know what you're getting out of it. Right, so certain lists do perform well against others. A perfect example is last edition, my warp company, my battle company, and warp spiders. My warp spiders always did really well whenever I went to Arizona. Uh, Eric Kakai, I can never pronounce his last name. Eric, the TO who makes the terrain for the for the uh, outpost games uh, terrain, he has a lot of large line of sight blocking walls essentially that warp spiders can take advantage of. Um, whereas a place like the LVO in 7th edition would have given me a lot more trouble because um, there's a lot more ruins and maybe generally one big line of sight blocker in the middle. So that's always something to keep in mind. Uh, and it does help lists like Aaron's deal with Primarchs and et cetera, Knights. Well, it's interesting, though. It's a, it's a double-sided sword <laughs> uh, because, um, you know, the tank also benefits from... It, it, it kind of goes back to, like, the tank can shoot you if it can see you as well. Yes. But I just think you just default to an 8th edition, you just need terrain. It just makes it infinitely more interesting. I know we've beaten this subject to death easily, but it's good to hear that the Renegade Open is, is very conscientious of that, because speaking of traveling to a, a major tournament, there's nothing more disheartening than traveling to a tournament not having super great terrain. And I know that they fixed this, but I'm going to pseudo slight... Very, it's, a, it's not a bus that I'm throwing them under, it's like it's a children's volkswagen duplicate bus so a very <laughs> small one everyone comes out of this okay but i actually won war games con last year and the train was was pretty not great there was a lot of tables where and i brought my war convocation by the way i'm a Terranitz war convocation guy or admech but in seventh we call it war con <laughs> lol um where if i if, if i can see you that's great because my whole army gets cover anyways and a lot of my army is very defensible there's a big knight there that's hard to bring down so that was kind of unfair, and my opponents were not having a good time. Uh, but in 8th edition, that was like a huge problem earlier on, so it's great to hear that Renegade's doing that, because anyone else listening, if you're TO, big or small, you have to have line-of-sight blocking terrain. Not just terrain, because actually cover saves kind of suck in 8th. You need line-of-sight blocking. That makes it interesting. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and we, we totally have been on a tyrant mission to make that happen for every table that we have. Uh, since honestly, since the latter half of sixth edition, Good. when sixth edition was really the first edition where line of sight blocking, like that was king. Not having line of sight blocking yeah. made your army suck. And, well, the missile spam that was going on in fifth and sixth and stuff like. Oh that. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it was just terrible. Like if you wanted to run anything vehicle based, forget it. Just forget it. Ninety percent of the tournaments out there, you just don't bother. Just spam infantry and go to town because you were not going to see enough line of sight blocking. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um. So so let's go ahead and get off this dead horse now and uh, backtrack to Aaron Along's list, uh, which I think is actually something. It, it's an imperial soup list. So so bear that in mind, guys, as I, I list this list out to you. But he brought Rough Riders, something something unique and different. You don't really see them. Definitely not at the top. Unique-ish. Unique-ish, you're right. Um, but Rough Riders have been off the board since 5th edition. I think that's the last mm -hmm. time people used Rough Riders reliably. And even oh, then, the guy were... that uh, the guy that won that one tournament brought Rough Riders, but he yeah. had the illegal thing. Andrew Whitaker? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so I guess that is, that's a fair point. Uh, he did also bring Rough Riders, too. So they, they are making a comeback. 
Uh, but he, he brought Rough Riders, he brought the Shadow Sword, he brought Strock in, he of course brought his primary Psyker group, which which every Imperium player needs to have to be competitive, I feel. Uh, and then some For the next week and a half. Yeah, you're right, <laughs> chapter approved. It's gonna it's gonna tear everyone a new one. And and that's actually something to keep in mind, folks, as you're listening to this podcast, is it, it might appear doom and gloom, because I do have some really bad news when it comes to faction breakdowns, especially if you're a Xenos player for the Renegade Open. Uh, but yeah. around the horizon, the, there is, there's good news. The, the Tiered Codex wasn't enacted in the Renegade Open. That's something that's very important. Uh, they How did... could you, David? <laughs> well, uh, let me think about that. Give everybody a week? Nah. That's, not that's the Tyranid way, dude. You don't expect that shit. It just pops in. No one expects the yeah, Tyranid that's, Inquisition. That's right. No, no one. No one expects the That's Spanish fluffy, Tyranids. man. It's fluffy. Yes. Uh, uh, isn't that uh, El Terranado? No, right? those are Spanish Terrans. Or Terranids, excuse me. Yeah. Right, and they're the Inquisition that nobody expects. We don't talk about them, though. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Paul, we keep interrupting. Go ahead. That's all right. No problem. Uh, so you had Aaron A. Long in his Imperial Soup list. Second place, Trent Northington. And real quick, before we, I start, before I go any further, if you want to check out any of these lists, go to the Best Coast Pairings Player app. Subscribe sub. to that app. Sub. Please do it. Support those guys. Those guys work hard night and day. They Their app is everything we need in this community. It, yep. for it to grow so just that's where you can see the list so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give you guys verbatim the lists, just so you guys can go there and view all the yep. lists so Trent absolutely and good man uh, if i could plug bcp for one quick second on garrett uh, maloney was actually at the renegade open and it he he makes it an effort to travel to all as many major events during the year as his time allows and he is super helpful no matter what the issue, what the problem, no matter what kind of quirky thing you're looking for for your event, he will f- try to find a way to help you. So these guys are definitely on a mission to make the game better and make TOing a lot easier for all of us. Oh, yeah, they're great. So Trent Northington got second place. He had the Ultramarine, so you guys will see Adeptus Astartes in his list, but it was basically Storm Raven Flyer Spam with Gilliman. Uh, which is basically what his list was. Third place, Matt Root. He ran a Death Guard list. Matt Root's kind of running an off-the-wall, different Chaos Soup list than what you normally see. It's not very Chaos Soupy. It, it's more, he takes advantage of the Blight Drones and a lot of the Death Guard characters. He does have Magnus and Cultists, or I think Poxwalkers. Fourth place, Sam Henley with a Chaos Soup list. And fifth place, Tyler DeVries with an Imperial Soup list. He's running something very similar to what he's been running before, the Grey Knights, etc., etc., and uh, I would also like you to give a shout out to Daniel Sansone, Matt Chuckman, and Stephen Pamprine, who all went five and one. They didn't make the top bracket, but they did go five and one and win their respective pods. And Stephen Pamprine and Matt Chuckman won with Eldari. They were the only players who were Eldar. Who were, they were actually the only Xenos players who went five and one. And they were two of three Xenos players who went four and two in the entire event. And then, wow. of course, yeah, oh yeah, it's bad. It's when I get to these faction breakdowns. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to give them a shout out. And then Daniel Sansone won with Grey Knights. But you can add a little asterisk there because there were a lot of guard in his Grey Knights list. And I feel like I still, I'm still going to give him credit for bringing Grey Knights because it's something very, very important. But I know a lot of people get a little sour taste in their mouth when I say Grey Knights win. And they did well when, in fact, there was also a heavy guard element. So just to let you guys know, I am saying he won with Grey Knights, but there were also guards. You can add a little asterisk there. And the faction breakdown, which I know what you guys are waiting for, 
there were four Imperial soup lists, and these are everyone who went in the event who went four and two or better. So these are people who won their pods or maybe got the, to the top table in their pods who did very, very well. Uh, there were four Imperial soup style lists, including the winner, Aaron Along. There were two Astro Militarum lists, and I, the reason why I included them separately from the soup lists is because they were mostly guard. So, like, uh, Ganyo, his list is a perfect example. It, it's, it's mostly guard, even though he's got, like, Celestine and some Primaris Psychers. There's, there were seven Space Marine lists, and unfortunately, I, I've been going on and on about how Gilman is not overpowered, uh, but when you look at these seven Space Marine lists, six out of the seven of them had Gilliman and were Ultramarines, with only one Raptors player uh, who was probably running Isodon if he was playing Raptors. And that that's kind of rough. So that, that kind of disproves Reese's theory. Uh, he posted an article on FrontlineGaming.org a couple days ago about how how to win with Space Marines and how you don't need Gilliman. Um, yet six out of the seven top Space Marine players were running Gilliman and Ultramarines. So I thought that was kind of funny. We had four Chaos Space Marine lists, which are different than the five Chaos Soup lists. And I didn't count the Primarchs this time because I didn't have time, but there were a lot. They, you could safely assume that 80 to 90% of the Chaos list had a Primarch of some kind. And then the same goes with the Space Marine lists. There was one Grey Knight player with a lot of guards, and one single 4 and 2 Tyranid player, Asa Carlson, your, t- your oh, last boy. My boy. He is, by the way, brand spanking new to the game. He's no a local way. up here. He has been playing this game only for two months. Good for him. Wow. Yeah. No. He he had a he had pretty much a standard Tyranid list. A, a standard index Tyranid list. Um. So you mm-hmm. know, Gene Steelers, Venom Thropes, Swarmy in a Pod, Swarmy Swarmy in a Pod. Yep. Some uh, gargoyles. That's pretty much Biofors? it. Uh, no biovores. I don't see any biovores on his list. Nope. Oh, he had zero biovores in that list. He had a he hive was all crone. about. Yeah, he had a hive crone, and his list was mostly about oh. body swarming and moving around the board and being just more agile than his opponent. Yeah. Hey, and Asa, yeah. if you're listening to this podcast, hit me up on email, frontlinegamingpdpab at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your feedback about the event, um, you being a new player, um, who did you play, etc. I think that'd be kind of cool to have a perspective on that well i got some comments sure uh i thought it was i do i did read reese's article and i think it's interesting i think uh the the devil's advocate kind of counterpoint to what reese is saying uh in light of what i'm about to argue against which is all confusing but i think you that you don't need gilliman or lias isodon to win as space marines but if you want to be at like top tables winning if that's what you consider winning yes you you right now for the most part do like there's going to be some anomalies but those are the lists I think what Reese was getting at is his article wasn't necessarily, uh, hey, top tier players, you, you you don't have to have those guys, right? Like it is Gilliman with Storm Ravens or some kind of Dreadnought or Devastator line, and then it's Lias Isodon popping in with Stern Guard and Devs and a banner, all that kind of stuff. That That is what has to get done for the top tier for Marines right now, which understandably I think is frustrating for them. Uh, you will see anomalies, but for the most part that seems to be what will consistently perform well at the top. And I think as we get the next, uh, fingers crossed, Imperial Primarch, we'll start to see some more options, right? Hopefully there'll be, I don't know, maybe not just a buffer, but like some kind of badass or something like that. Right. Um, and then in terms of breakdown, it's, it's interesting hearing all, I mean, it's not that interesting, but it's, it's interesting, I guess, from like a Games Workshop perspective, hearing all the soup lists, because I think it's universally acknowledged that they're so powerful and, and they know that. Um, and I also know that it kind of rubs um, 
it doesn't rub it's not it's not as bad as seventh but it, it rubs people the wrong way that like the best right now is an amalgamation of like three or four codex well not four but multiple codexes piled into one and then there doesn't seem to be a super big downside in fact it's kind of encouraged right it opens up more stratagems yeah. it opens up warlord traits so it's kind of one of those things where again it's like hey games workshop it feels like you didn't want this to happen but you sure wrapped a bow tie around it and made it pretty sexy. So it's like, what what did you think was going to happen? Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. And then I feel bad because I think with Chapter Approved, there's a really good chance that a lot of that gets roped in. Uh, like a lot of it. Maybe not completely shut down, but but maybe. They've been pretty hardcore about that stuff. Right. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see We'll see if it's going to get roped in. Um, just to play a quick devil's advocate to your devil's advocate. Yeah. Uh, that's like... That's like a, that's a that's an angel advocate, advocate? Or something. yeah, yeah it's exactly. the angel advocate now uh, to play some angel advocate and to to take away some some of this doom and gloom i wonder how much of this is actually copycat 40k uh in the sense that these players you know felt like they needed to bring these specific lists to win and you know if you look at these top players and this isn't a knock on your event david um but reese nope. is missing frankie is missing uh jeff is missing um uh, sean naden is missing Jake Ballard, a really good orc player, is missing. You know, just those are just players I can think of off the top of my head who would shatter this mold completely, right? Like Frankie would win probably with his sisters. Reese would win with some off the beat silly Reese list. You know, Jeff would bring probably bring his Tyranids and do really well even with index Tyranids, though maybe not. It is Jeff, so fifty fifty. But I would just play the codex <laughs> and see what happens. You know, see who right. catches me. <laughs> just use stratagems. Who, who cares? But yeah. no, my point is, is that there are a lot of of powerful players that that relish the chance to compete against this this field. This is the, this is the kind of field that Reese would look at and go, Pasha, the my my crazy Astro Militarum list with twenty Sentinels will destroy this. Mohahaha, right? Like that's that's what you this players like that live for, right? Is this? And you don't really, I didn't really see any innovators. In these lists. Oh, I was going to say, what's your point, Paul? You're getting to it now. Right, right. I didn't, you mean I, there wasn't like super unique lists you didn't see very much? What yeah, you're saying? yeah, but but these no. players aren't known for bringing super unique lists. Like, like look at yeah. look at Aaron Along. Like, uh, Matt Root is known for bringing... Actually, no, Matt Root brought a standard Root gets Root gets the nod. I thought he, his you're list right. was pretty unique. You're right, you're right. To be fair, Root and Tyler DeVries, who have done consistently well with, with those lists that are different and unique, um, but for the most part... You know, no one really stands out as someone who, who runs different lists and is an innovator, right? Um, well, to be fair, Petey Pop, I couldn't play. It's my own event. <laughs> fair, enough. fair enough. I don't I don't run Gulliman, and I don't run uh, Flyers, and I don't run uh, Dreadnought Spam. Yeah, I, I run bikes, infantry, and some deep strikers. Dear God, I'm oh so outside, right? Didn't you score one place behind me at Nova? I was one point behind you because of strength of schedule. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's 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 true. Yeah. That's funny. Um, and, and of course, David being so close to me that proves he's a phenomenal player. So of course, you know, uh, uh, yeah. everyone everyone didn't every, you you guys didn't play David. I mean, so uh, add a big old asterisk to everyone's name. Everyone's wins. Um, I mean, it it was. <laughs> It was down to me and freaking Nick Nadavani with his demons as to who was going to run over everybody at Renegade, at Adepticon this year. So, you know, just say. I see your point, though, Pablo, and I'll be interested to see as more codexes come out, uh, especially with, I think the Eldar Codex can get more figured out. And with that nerf to Yanari, I think more people are going to be like, all right, well, I got to go to the, the Craft World Codex and start figuring things out. 
I think we'll start to uh, in the next few weeks, and I don't know if there's any GTs coming up, uh, certainly not the size of Renegade, but um, where we'll start to see a little bit more diversity is, is the hope. But right now, and I think I think this is what's interesting about Chapter Approved coming up, right now the absolute best list, hands down, are Imperial and Chaos Soup and then Guard stuff. Like, there's just no question about it. But what I like about it is it's not quite 7th where every other army is just hilariously outgunned. Um, there obviously are some outliers. I, you know, my my condolences to Necrons and uh, <laughs> some of those guys where it's like, eh, I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> Uh, it, it's really rough for them, but still not as bad as some of the matchups in seventh, I think. But those are the lists to beat in, in the meta right now. And it's I'm curious as to we we've talked about some of the things that'll shake it up. I do think the Nid Codex will shake it up with so much turn one charging. I look at that guard list. I think mortar teams are pretty useless. I'm not worried about Rough Riders. A Shadow Sword's like scary in most matchups, but really not for Terranids again. Um I mean, obviously, if they go Mega Nidzilla list, but then Guard has plenty of answers for that anyways. Like, they'll just tie him up and shoot him to shit for a while. Um, but I think, I hope, my hope is that Nids in particular will mix up the meta because people will have to start taking not just um, not just Chafe, but, like, actual assault elements or something along those lines. You're, like, you're his only right. mobility was the Rough Riders and a couple yeah. of deep-striking stuff. Nids would eat that alive, and then he'd be sitting in his corner. And if they're playing ITC missions, I don't care how badass your army is. If you're not sitting on objectives and scoring them, you're you're falling behind pretty bad. Right. And right. Something, something else Nids eat alive that I've noticed is uh, Primarchs and big single-threatening yes. units like Celestine, Gilliman, Magnus, Mortarian. Uh, I've seen a lot of Nid, Nid lists just, just eat those kind of single models for breakfast. You know, they relish the idea of taking away four or five hundred points of your opponent's army in one combat phase, right? So yeah. that's just that's just something I've noticed. Um, and that'll be a huge thing. That's why the rise of the Shadow Swords uh, is is becoming so prevalent. Down here, if you're following our FLG League at all, uh, there's a player who who's mostly, for the most part, known as someone who's a little bit more casual, someone who doesn't win a lot of games but has a great time. He's a great guy, Anthony Silva. He's just been destroying players with these with a three Bane Blade style list. And there's another player in Arizona is doing the same thing. He's running three Bane Blades, and I'm seeing that more and more here in SoCal. I I don't see extending out into the rest of the global community, um, but that's something that's interesting. And then one final thing I want I want to point out is the Europe the ETC Europe scene probably has a completely different meta. And yeah. if you're if you guys are gonna listen to this when with the Zach Becker interview. Zach Becker talks about what Alex Harrison is running, and the list to be in ETC is like like six units of Swooping Hawks and Dark Reapers with Eldar, with like some Eldar shenanigans and maybe Ivrain, right? Or well, the Dark, Dark oh, Reapers yeah. are actually sick. Though. They're so They're amazing. Really good. They're really really good. But but that's the but but I and I I think that's also kind of funny because in seventh edition Eldar were dominant in on the European side and not so much here in the states. That was always the kind of funny thing was that Eldar were everywhere, but they'd never win an event. Um, whereas yeah. in ETC, they were everywhere and they'd always win events. Um, it, it's it's it, it, Pablo, I think the reason for that, though, and it's pretty self-explanatory, is like Eldar was a very um, archaic, very kind of caveman-like style, very point-and-click, just kind of did it for itself, which really jive with Europeans. That any The simpler <laughs> the tool, the more they're able to kind of wrap their, you know... Uh, Trandoshian sized head around it and just kind of, you know, it, it just makes sense for them. Americans, it's all about subtlety. It's about class. It's really hard for us <laughs> to kind of 
debase ourselves to lower level and easier things. So we kind of erred towards more complex things. And honestly, that's why we've also been such gentlemen and given the win to Europeans in every uh, ETC league really? or competition. Right. Yeah, I mean, we could have won it, but we chose not to. It's really I, I nice. Thought, right. I, mean, I thought it was because If you want to see an example of that style, just look to the history of America's war generals. I mean, you've got guys like Patton yeah. and, you know, and MacArthur, who subtlety was definitely their game, right? Like, totally <laughs> right. that is the American style. Wow, I, I thought Europeans had Alexander the Great, but he couldn't even figure out the island of Crete. You know what I mean? Like it, it just right. got too complex for him. So it's it, it makes sense. Man, I here I am thinking that it was because the Eldar and the Fluff learned how to band together and then tank their economy. Um, but apparently that that's not it at all. Uh, too real, Pablo. That one's too real. <laughs> uh oh, sorry, two on the nose. Anyways, moving on. So guys, uh, in short. The metas are different everywhere. You, you, when you look at these Renegade open results, it's not doom and gloom. There, there are different metas depending on where you're from. There's a whole East Coast meta. This is more of the Midwest slash East Coast meta in the Renegade open. Yeah. Then there's a West Coast meta, and then there's the European meta. And then Australia has its own wonky meta that I'm not even going to get into because they're, they're doing their own thing over there. Well, it's uh, even smaller than that, though. It's like it's like in America we have several metas. Like East yes. Coast is very different from West Coast. and right. Renegade has, and uh, like even uh, Texas and Minnesota, some of these places, they have their own metas as well. Right. Which is also a sign of a healthy game, I feel. Um, it, was, yeah, it was some bad times where the game did get boiled down to the, the same, you know, uh, like what was, well, a couple, speaking of ETC, a couple of those tournaments where it was like, okay, here's this team and there's the standard Eldar, there's the standard Gar, there's the standard, mm-hmm. you know, this. It got really boring that way. So it's it's nice that there's some diversity here. Uh, and the hope is with each codex release that they continue to be unique. Because I was kind of worried too that with the Terran Codex, we'd have like the LA Talk Hive Fleet. We'd have, and they still do have a pseudo uh, mold here, but they are they are adding some unique flavor to it, which I'm enjoying. Right, absolutely. Okay, guys, that's it for our Renegade Open coverage. David, is there anything you would like to add? If anyone would like to attend the Renegade Open in the future, what do they do? So if you want to attend the Renegade Open in the future or our very shortly to also be announced uh, team tournament that we're going to be doing in the summer back at FFG, uh, you should check out www.renegadeopen.com or check uh, check out the link in Best Coast Pairing uh, or any of the face- major Facebook pages will be posting and blasting our events there as well. Right well, give us a heads up, David, because I got to contact the retirement home that Reese lives at and schedule <laughs> For him to have us have a leave, but we would love to come out there, so we'll figure it out. Right on. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Would love to see you guys. Okay, guys, stay tuned after this commercial break. If you guys would like to hear more from Jeff, you guys can of course go to Twitch at e at uh, incontroltv dot twitch something like that twitch dot incontroltv dot com. Was that right? That's uh, close enough, man. Okay, good enough. Uh, check Jeff out. He's also got a YouTube channel. If you like. His co-hosting skills, let me know via email. As you guys know from last episode, I am looking for a co-host. And I think I'm just going to try out different co-hosts, as I mentioned, until January. And I think I'll solidify it and get someone good. I'm looking forward to it. I've already got a lot of people asking about it. And if you're interested and you meet the the criteria from last episode, let me know. You can email me, frontlinegamingpdpab at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone. You guys are the best. And I'll see you guys with Zach after the break. Hello everyone, instead of your normal commercial break, I just want to give thanks to all of you beautiful listeners. It was just Thanksgiving, 
Christmas music is playing in the background. Maybe you can hear it. If not, there's definitely Christmas music there. I hope you guys are getting into the holiday spirits. I know I am. I'm very excited for the future of the podcast. And just wanted to give you guys a quick shout out. You guys are the best listeners ever. Remember to go to FrontlineGaming.org for your GW products and for your secondhand shop needs and for your mats and for anything else. Just go to FrontlineGaming.org. It's a great place to be. Have a good one. Okay, everyone. And we're back with my very, very special guest. He really needs no introductions. If you know who he is, you know how amazing he is. He is a GW playtester. He is the TO of the infamous or famous, actually, depending on what where you are in the standings, London GT, Mr. Zach Becker, all the way from across the pond. Zach, say hi, everyone. Say hi to everyone. Hey, everyone. Uh, so, if you haven't heard of the London 40K GT, uh, maybe because you live in the United States where most of my my listener base lives uh zach what is the london 40k gt for everyone who doesn't know the london 40k gt actually uh, is dead um the london gt as 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 it was resurrected um is a wargaming convention not unlike um lbo nova uh, or adepticon only slightly smaller because we're slightly younger um it started life as the london 40k gt which was you know 200 man 40k event and since then has grown into a uh, fully fledged convention with 20 plus different gaming events going on um the 40k event has stayed strong uh, it's still our, our lead and signature event and uh it's 350 odd players this year so you know we're really excited to uh, be bringing the world another uh, sort of massive 40k event to attend yeah and we really can't have enough it's it's really cool having these large events like the the Renegade Open and the Iron Halo and, and you, you know War Games Con, et cetera, et cetera. You know these big, almost a hundred person or a hundred person events. Those are kind of those are kind of they're they're really big, um, but the huge events. You know the the LVOs and the London GTs and the Novas of the world and the ETCs. Those are those are the the big dogs. Those are the important events that we we need. We I don't necessarily we, need, we don't need one necessarily every month, but we need them. They're they're very important, and they all need to be different, and they all need to be well run, and they essentially represent our community as a whole, right? Because all eyes are going to be on those 300 plus people. I know I know I will be watching closely. And Zach, when is the London GT happening? This year we are running on the 18th, 19th, and 20th of May. Okay. Uh, 2018, and there's a an optional, uh, or, well, all the days are optional, but there's an additional day on the 21st, which is the Monday, uh, where we're doing a big group trip up to Warhammer World uh, for anyone who wants to come. Nice. Nice, cool. So let's go ahead and move on to the main topic. Let's say I am a, a fledgling tournament 40k player, and, you know, I might have maybe won an occasional 20-person RTT. Uh, I'm a perennial 4 and 2 uh, What what do I need to do to stand out at these 300-person, 400-person large events, right? Um, and that's something that Zach came to approach to me. I thought it'd be a really interesting topic to talk about because there is a difference between preparing for a 70-man person event where um, I'm going to use the Iron Halo as an example because that's the most recent large but not mega GT that I went to. Uh, the Iron Halo is 120 was 120 people. It was very, very fun. I had a good time, but there were primarily two teams 
in the region, the Flying Monkeys and it, the guys from Oklahoma City, those guys all essentially made up a third of the everything. They brought all of their players to their teams, and everyone felt like they knew each other, and they had their own kind of like meta, and, and it, it just it felt like a very, very large community, but it still felt small in terms of like these big global events where you have people from all over the world, and you have all these different ideas. So there's definitely a lot to prepare there. And so Zach, you know, proposed this topic for us to talk about it, and I think it's actually pretty interesting. So Zach, you want to take it away? Sure, sure. So this approach um, that I'll probably be talking to you about now is kind of based off two things. One, one is a book I read uh, a long time ago uh, called The Black Swan. It's a, actually a book about uh, financial collapse in, in 20, uh, 2007, um, but puts forward uh, an idea of, uh, called being anti-fragile, benefiting from, from, from risk um, and, and things that happen that are unexpected. And the second idea idea came from an observation I had, which was in, in the UK, we're very fortunate that we have a large number of 100-man events, probably one every two months. And uh, as a result of that, you get to see where, and there are only five, five games, you get to see where even though the math says, you know, you could potentially end up with, with a number of people for second and third, you know, on similar-ish scores. Ultimately, what you have is you have a winner, and then you have lots of people that are all on four and one in a five-round tournament. And what really determines the rankings ends up not being win-loss. comes down to the secondary and tie breaks. And what I'm going to talk about now, basically, is two approaches um, you need to have in order to win the mega events, which come from these two original observations. Um, but they're brought more into the extreme, uh, the larger and larger the events go. So... Um, the first, it really comes down to, to how to win tournaments, whether it's a 30-man tournament, a 100-man tournament, or a 300-man tournament. It is understanding the event format, which I think is something that a lot of people overlook. People, as you described them, the perennial four and twos, they take the best army they have that works for them in, in, in their you know, RTT community or in their club community. And actually, that may not be appropriate. You know, there may need to be tweaks that are made to suit the event format. And primarily, what I mean there is how missions are scored, tiebreakers are and how many missions people will be playing over the course of the event uh, because understanding those impacts on how you need to design your list and then in-game, how you need to play the list, whether right. you need to be exposing yourselves to large amounts of risk uh, or not. So, right. to give you an example, the London GT is quite unique in so much as it's the only one of these mega events uh, to be run on five games. So, the game number count is very small which means that you've got to assume that there'll be a number of people in excess of the top three that will be on five straight wins. And as a result of that, you've got to, as a player, you want to be playing to win. What do you need to do in order to actually win the event? Because winning your games is not enough. And um, that's really what, what got me thinking of why I approach you, because I think it's interesting to see how players that excel when all they need to do is win games uh, place and then how they potentially could could not excel and have to absolutely smash everyone of their opponents because ultimately, again, the, the winning of the tournament is getting down to the secondary and tertiary points. So right. uh, that's really the whole philosophy um, of, of, of how uh, I view 
winning winning large events to go. Okay, so uh, it's just not... okay, so so and that's actually that's actually a very good point. And I want to I want to give another example, something that my buddy Thomas Heggs from Oki and I talked about last year at the LVO, and it's it's very very much um, something that it's another example, and it pretty much goes along with what you're saying, Zach, and that. At the LVO, when you use the old ITC missions, your first three missions in your ITC, you were playing people who were who were one and zero, two and zero, and three and zero. So you're playing essentially going to be paired up against the majority of the field, right? So so your round ones, your round two, and your round three, or the first half of the tournament of a round of a six round tournament, you're 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 going to be playing someone random, right? So those three missions, you don't necessarily need to build a list that's that's those missions' strength, right? So if your first three missions are Big guns never tire. Relic and kill points, right? You you might if kill points is round three, you might have to worry about that a little bit because you're probably chances are you're probably going to pull someone who's a little bit more on the competitive side, but not always. There's a little bit of percentages there. But when you get to rounds four, five, and six, especially round six, that final mission, you know, if you want to win, if you want to go five and zero, six and zero, you're going to be playing someone who who is very very good. You're you're going to be playing one of the contenders for, if, especially at the LVO, you're going to be per, per playing someone who's a contender for the top eight. You're going to be in contention for the top eight. So that round six mission and that round five mission, especially, or in the London GT's case, that round four and that round five mission, you need to be on point and you need to know those missions the best. Now you should know all your missions, um, but when you're designing your list, it's okay to have weaknesses in the first three missions, but those last two missions, your list needs to uh, basically win that so so basically my point is is that when you're when you're looking at at point scoring and matchup percentages and what you could potentially win lose you want to be able to always win those round five and round six missions no matter what so i would suggest practicing those and then the first three rounds of the missions you should play your absolute best but it'll really come down to it'll really come down to your player skill for those three rounds, and that, that's why players like Jake Ballard, who who's a really good orc player, Val Heffelfinger, who's another really good orc player, players who play underpowered factions, that's why they usually go four and zero because they're playing these these players who who they don't who who maybe not necessarily aren't the best players. They're the perennial four and twoers. They're you know maybe they got really lucky, but they don't go to tournaments a lot. You know they're playing for those first three rounds. They're playing players like that, but when they get to five and zero. 6-0 and they get to the top tables, they usually lose and fall just short of the top finals. That's why you see Orc players who are like 5-1 and one or 4-2 and two just barely made the top 8 or barely missed out on winning the whole thing. Um, and that that's that's those, that's those like the high-end gatekeeper armies. So I think I think that's another example, and correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, that's, I think that's another example of something you need to look at in terms of a large tournament. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Ultimately, in win-loss events uh, as a format, that's even more important because you're riding player skill to get you through to the gateway game, the game six, yes. or, or, or in over the game four. Um, in the LCQ format, to, to, to take you know that beautiful point I said, this year it will be as important to get max points in game one as it will be to get max points in game five. And that's because ultimately there'll be a number of people that have done max points in every single game so you'll be playing for tiebreakers. So you, you, you can say, well, game five is normally the most crucial. And normally I completely agree with you. But in our specific form this year, it's not. Yeah, every game, every single point matters. And that's really the point I'm trying to make here, which is the very first thing you need to do when you're approaching these, these large events 
is to really take format back and strip it down back to, to what, okay, what are the fundamental mathematic inputs into this? What are the success criteria? And how do I win this thing? And it really comes down to, you know, how many games there are, how many scored, and how many people will go. Right. So, and that, that is a great point. And the, I described how the formula, the breaking, I broke down the LVO for you in terms of the LVO format, but as you said, the London DT is only five rounds. And I, I don't know, are you guys going to be using ITC missions, your own missions? What kind of missions are you guys going to be using? No, so we, um, we use basically a modified version of the ETC format missions. So the primary is a eternal war mission. The secondary is a maelstrom mission and the tertiary is kill points. And, and that's a simplistic way to describe it. Anyone that's familiar with ETC will, will know the, the, the detail that goes in behind that. But effectively, if you get absolutely smashed and tabled, you get zero points. If you table your opponent, you get 20. If you draw, it's a 10-10. And then there are nuanced levels of how much you've won or lost that uh, you know, a good win would be 15-5. Um, you know, a, a, a good draw would be an 11-9 sort of thing. So it's not actually a win-loss at all because you could win all five of your games and score, you know, 11 points in every game. So it's an 11-9 every single game. Um, and then, you know, somebody else could play, you know, that gives you a, a total score of 55. Somebody else could, could play four games, absolutely smash your opponents, get 80 points and get zero points in game five. And the overall ranking is, is done by, by those tournament points. Okay. So it's not it's not win loss in terms of its um, how it affects overall rankings, but if you win, obviously you get more points, so you're still incentivized to win. Okay. Uh, but it but it rewards you for the the level of your win, how much you've won by, um, which is something that the ITC standard format doesn't do. Um, it's okay. Different. Well, and yeah, yeah. Okay, I see. So now if we if we take these these two this idea and then apply it to the Nova format uh, tournament we both attended in, and I think we can both say it's a, a completely different tournament in from the London GT and the LVO, right? In that mm-hmm. there there are eight rounds for the Nova tournament. There's the four rounds, and then you get to the bracket, the top 16 brackets uh, that basically decide the winner, right? So at the Nova format, you you can actually you have to actually essentially win. You're four and zero. You have to win four games straight, but only after you play your four games. So, for for example, uh, first off, there's a top sixteen. So if you want to win Nova, you have to get into the top sixteen through day through mm. the first the first round of the tournament, the first four rounds, right? So to get into the top sixteen, I believe they had a few people who had one loss. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I, I remember I remember there being a few people who had one loss. Uh, I think Aaron Along comes to mind as the the big person who had one loss and made it in the top 16. Uh, but you can actually have a loss in Nova, but that loss needs to be a really high point loss. So if you yeah. know you're going to lose a game in Nova, and, and this you should win all your games. I mean, it, you know, strategy aside, if you win all your games, you'll win every tournament. So that's just so any for any of you smart Alex out there who are just saying like, we'll just win all your games. Oh well, yeah, obviously that's true. But let's say let's oh actually that's not the case with the London GT. You need to smash all your opponents. Um, but mm-hmm. for the Nova, if you know you're going to lose, no matter where you are, round one, round four, if you know you're going to lose to get into that top 16, make sure you max out your points for that loss. Right? Let's say you're you're looking at a loss. You know you're going to lose. If you just have, focus on getting as much points as you can, and then max points scoring all the rest of your games, you'll get into that top 16. 
And then from the top 16, you'll have a day to kind of recuperate and see who you're going to play. And then you plan your game plan from there, right? So you look at your top 16 bracket and you're like, oh, okay, there's no demons. Like that, that's really cool. So I don't have to worry about demons. So now I can just think about beating Eldar or whatever, right? So that's a, uh, go ahead. I think you make, you, make, you make a great point there, which is the whole point, uh, or if you strip what you've just said then back to the mat, the reason you can get through to the top 16 and over with one, one loss is because they don't typically sell their whole 256 tickets. Because mm-hmm. if that was the case, then you wouldn't be able to, because there would just be 16 people on full wins. So it, it comes back to really understanding, okay, this is the format, this is the number of people. So what do I need? What's the minimum success criteria for me to achieve what I'm, what I'm out to, to do? To do? Um, and the whole maximizing your losses, which, as you described, is, is a perfect example of, okay, if you're having a bad game one at Nova, but it's only sold 180 tickets, then you, can, then you know that that's what you need to do. But if it has sold its full 256 tickets, which you know because you can check on best case bearings or whatever, then if you're having that, that first, first game loss, oh, you are, things going terribly, the dice gods are betraying you, then you know that you will never win unless you turn that game around. And it comes back to the, to the point I was trying to make earlier, which was your play style needs to be adapted for the format of the event. So in that situation, if there is the full 256 people playing, you shouldn't be trying to maximize your loss. You should be taking every risk you can, no matter how, much, how outlandish it is, to try to scrape back that win. So it all depends on, on this, the two fundamental ingredients, if you like. One is how many people, and two is what the format is. So... That's really the message I'm, I'm trying to, to convey today, which is ultimately how you play and what you play with, um, which we'll probably come on to in a minute, um, is, is heavily impacted by those two, two fundamental things. Right. Right. So, so now, that, now that we've said that, let, let's go ahead and move on to the next point that you made, um, that you told me, mm-hmm. um, which was, Zach... So yeah, it's, it's, it's basically comes from from a, a method of investing, which is that your army and your, and your skill or ability as a player should be should be there to to minimise exposure to to risk, um, negative risk, but should maximise on, on positive risk. So an easy way to describe this would be something like a guard list with Celestium. So you can sit there with your guard list, you know, you shoot everyone all day long. You're very hard to kill. You don't run away. And you're pretty much, you know, if you're a good enough player, you win every game. But there'll be occasional opportunity where something's gone terribly wrong and you need to be able to drop some a character, you know, on the other side of the board or move, you know, take, take advantage of this opportunity that's presented itself. And Celestine is a perfect unit to be able to do that with. So the idea there basically is that if you only need, you know, if the format dictates that you only need to win your games, you don't need to absolutely smash, then you should be designing a list that's designed to do that. So when I see people taking the same list, Stelvio, to Nova and to, you know, an EPC style event or, or the LGT, I think to themselves, you know, this guy's, this is like the exact opportunity, you know, example of an extra. It's somebody that's found a list that works really well, or they've downloaded it, or they've developed it in their meta, um, but they don't fundamentally understand how competitive 40K works, that every event needs list tweaks of some, you know, greater or minor degree. Um, and there is no perfect list. There's no, there's no panacea or golden ticket um, to winning these events. And the two things that, that really matter, one is play style, one is list design. Um, 
both are impacted heavily by, by, by the event. So right. um, that's really it. I mean, it's typically resilient armies are great ways, you know, armies that, that do this well because you can consistently score with them and then use you know, fast objective grabbing uh, units to, to do it. So Elder and 7th Edition were an example where you know, shroud your Farseers, put all your jetbikes around it, shoot pit the wall game, and the last game, you know, you throw out your jetbikes and you win again. So it's all about finding that balance between okay, reliably being able to take home the wins and when you really need to capitalize on the uh, unlikely opportunities. Yeah, and that's actually a really good point that I, I would like to highlight in that there are styles of lists that do tend to do better than other lists. And you can actually boil this down to just basic competition, right? So if you were to take uh, football or American football, the do you, do you keep up with American football at all, Zach? No, okay. unfortunately so, not. So, that's okay. So we had a really good player who retired a couple years ago named Peyton Manning. And Peyton Manning had a winning formula. He took a very conservative approach. Now, with American football, there's percentages and c- completion percentages. And if you run a play... For passing plays, there are certain plays that just naturally have a higher percentage chance of getting completed and progressing further in the game versus others, right? So if you had a quarterback like Brett Favre who threw deep balls consistently, which are low percentage uh, chances of cat being caught balls, but they're 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 high risk, high reward essentially, right? Uh, that you can play that way and that's fine. And and the 40k version would be like glass cannon armies, right? So so I think Eldar. Uh, Alpha Strike armies come to mind in particular, so th- things like Eldar, Ultramarine Gunlines are very glass cannony too, and that they're very, they're not very weak, they're not very strong um, defensively, but they can table you, things like that. The high risk, high reward. The, those armies are really good at tabling opponents, just flat out like, boom, I caught you, you're dead. But on the flip side, any sort of bad luck, any bad rolls, bad shooting phase, a seize, etc., they're very susceptible to those, right? So if your opponent it gets any sort of good luck against you at all, you lose, right? But the flip side, the the tournaments, the the lists, the kinds of lists that win consistently are the balanced lists or the more conservative lists, right? The the ones that have a decent percentage chance of doing well throughout the rest of the turn, that have the resiliency and the bodies that you talked about to survive bad luck, right? Because that's that's another yeah. that's another thing you have to look out for when you're playing these events is there's always the chance that you'll you'll play a game where you the it's going to be like your worst ba- game of bad luck ever, right? So if you look at it just from a, a D6 perspective, you're going to get seized on at least once. You're playing six games, you're playing five games, you're going to get seized on at least once, right? There's going to be a critical roll, maybe it's a Gilliman roll, um, maybe it's a 12-inch charge, a 7-inch charge, or whatever, right? There's going to be critical rolls that you need to win to in order to win the game and especially at the highest level of competition where both players pretty much make near perfect tactical moves it it essentially does come down to a few simple dice rolls right because if you assume both players are playing tactically perfect and they're both doing and they both have evenly matched conservative armies it'll just come down to oh well did i go first did i make this charge did i do this boom the game's over Right, because the units, everything is doing what they're supposed to do. The units are killing what they're supposed to kill. The units that are holding objectives, are, they're holding their objectives because both players are know exactly how their armies work and how their armies operate, and that's what you get at the highest level, right? So, so you're you're the the whole reason why you build the balanced and the conservative list is so that when that does happen, inevitably, you have a way to you have something to fall back on, and hopefully it doesn't happen at the high like at the top table. 
Because because if that happens, yeah. you know, it's, it's it's over. But it, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, to take a, an example from our own game, uh, we played in the run up to Nova. Um, you know, we had one phase where five fire dragons couldn't kill. I think of half wounded rhino. Oh yeah, and that meant. You know, that meant that, that I spent an additional turn out of position, and it basically meant that the steamroll. And it was all because five melted guns basically wasted me a turn. Right. So, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a great um, lesson for anyone that's listening um, that wants to, you know, take themselves from being a four and two to being a five and one. That's uh, something they should be doing every single time. Um, to loop back around into uh, how that applies to uh, how to win these, these major, you know, massive events. Uh, that, 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 that same principle has to be taken to the extreme. So if you are playing an event such as the LGT where, okay, everyone's going to, or not everyone, but more than three people are going to have scored uh, five, you know, one of their games, then what do you need to tweak in your list in order to maximize on the next set of different areas? So for us, uh, if you want to, uh, to, to do really well, you're going to have to be uh, absolutely smashing your opponents. Well, when I say that, I don't mean in, you know, in, a, in a nasty sort of power game way, but in a, in a way that you have to be not just winning the mission, you have, you to, have to be also points. killing that. You can get it, but you can get max points without killing a single model in your opponent's army. Right. Um, the way the way our point system is structured is you have to not just win the mission, you have to actually kill your opponent. You have to engage them in the game in, in other than the movement phase. Um, so you have to be aggressive, even if you know you're going to win anyway, which I think is the point because you get, like, you know, sort of linking back into seventh edition elder, I used to win games and I'd lose like one jet bike all game. And because I didn't then cat and mouse the whole game, I'd be like, well, I'm just going to hang out here. I'm going second. Um, so I've got enough jet bike units that I'll throw a couple around and turn five and I'll do the same with six, et cetera, et cetera. And it was an unengaging game. It was no fun. So what we've tried to do is basically design out that style of play in terms of how the missions work, or not so much how the missions work, but in terms of how our tiebreakers are awarded. So even if you're winning the game by playing cat maps, you won't win the tournament unless you start playing in a more extroverted manner. You start actually you know, doing some, some additional things that perhaps you wouldn't do if you just had to win your games rather than win your games and you know, kill your opponent's units and all that sort of stuff. So that, that's, that's an example taken from our own event. But, you know, the same thing is true of, of Nova and of LVA. All the missions are published months in advance. And whether it's only the last mission in the tournament you tailor for or whether it's every single round, um, the, the building blocks are building, as you say, your, mission, your army to not be acted on by bad luck. But the secondary point uh, is the, the nuance and the tweaks you need to make to it in order to to maximize its exposure to good luck and opportunity to, uh, to actually win the, the little things that are going to make the difference when you're playing for the top three positions rather than just for, say, the top 10 or 20. Right. And and just to drive the point home even further, I'm, I'm going to pick one style of list. It's going to be a 7th edition list because uh, I feel like the 8th edition meta is still kind of gelling and solidifying, and I know 7th edition a lot better, 7th edition list a lot better in terms of this topic. Uh, so we're going to take the 7th edition battle company. Right, so let's say you have a battle company, the the basic skeleton of a battle company. If you wanted to take it to the LVO, wins matter more than absolutely getting max points every game. Right, so you just need to go 6-0. and oh. So you, you pick a conservative battle company, a take-all-comers battle company, and battle company is notorious for this, and you win all of your games 11-10 to 10, or 10-9. to 9. 
right? Just barely. You, you, you have the, the list that can do everything you need it to because it's a consistent conservative list that bad luck won't really affect because you have multiple redundancies. So you win every game. You go 6-0 with LVO. Now you have, you made it to the top eight. Congratulations. Now you just have to win three games in a row. Something about a company probably can't do, but, you know, that's, that's a conservative list. Now, if you took that same list and that same idea, and you took it to the London GT, you would you would probably you'd be lucky to end up in the top 30, right? Because you're sitting at a pool of 300 players, which is above the 256 break for a top 32, right? So so that's the means there's going to be 32 players who who go five and zero. Craig, I think I think my math is right there. Uh, so you have 32 players who are going to go five and zero, right? So you you're going to go five and zero, but you're going to be like 30 30th place right because you're going to be barely winning all of your games because that's the way the battle company is designed it's designed to play very conservatively not get a lot of points basically just go oh well i'm gonna i'll give up on kill points but i'll win with a mission this objective this objective part um which is primarily why nova switched their format up so that their missions basically hurt lists like that so that they wanted you, and the same thing with the ETC format. They wanted holistic armies, armies that that were designed to win multiple aspects of the game other than just one, right? So that same battle company list that would go six and zero at the LVO, and you know probably make the top eight would only go top thirty and be unknown at the London GT, where you know whereas the list with the battle company but with a lot more aggression, uh, maybe you have like uh, Skyhammer to drop down and and kill things that you need to. Uh, to put pressure on your opponents, and then you back it up with that that crazy battle company, the redundancy. So you can play to that mission, but you can also play to the other missions too as well. You add a killy element or whatever you need to. You shore up your weaknesses, and you do better at the London GT because you're rolling everyone, right? So you do have to take more risk, more risk at an event like the London GT, London GT, because you need to max out your points if you want to make if you want to win the whole thing. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's a perfect example of a, of a list because the, you know it was always a battle company and something in two thousand points. Yes. So the real the real point we're trying to make here is if you take if you're playing a game that only consisted of battle companies and something every single person brought the same thing, then your your real question is okay. Well, looking at the meta and looking at the missions, what is that? What what is that specific and I need to bring in order to win this tournament? Um, I've said before, you know, Sean Hayden's an expert doing this. He, you know, had a lot of elder, but he always understood, you know, what was the the extra little tweak he needed to make to 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 beat uh, the people he knew would be performing well, but also to score well on the missions he knew he needed to be performing on. So, you know, there's plenty of people that can do that. Ben Murphy's an, another example, um, and there's, there's a bunch, obviously, on this side of the pond. But you know, there's a there's a different way you need to, to be looking at list design. Uh, when you're talking about winning bigger events, and I think that's probably um, that. Yeah. So onto the onto the final topic, um, uh, Zach, take it away. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's pretty much it. I think we've probably covered okay. the, you know whole, all, all elements of it um, when we've been sort of circling around. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, there's 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 three elements to it, which is how your list is designed, how you play with that list, and, and making sure both of those elements are tailored specifically for the event format, um, and then secondly, for, for the meta. People obviously typically prioritize the meta over the format, which is a mistake in my, in my view. Um, there's something uh, specific, I think, to the, the US 
um, scene, which I think if anyone's listening, that's an, ex- an, you know, an aspiring uh, top uh, finisher at any of these events, they can probably take into account, uh, which is you know who you're going to be playing. If, you, if you're going to win uh, Nova or LVO, um, you can bank on playing one of the you know the, the better known top eight players. That's you know, true. If you can't, if you just if you design lists that can't beat demons, then you can. You've probably got a fifty percent chance of playing Nick in in one of your in one of your top matchups. So if you can't beat demons purely based on list design, then you design a bad list. If you can't do it back and forth, you couldn't beat Death Stars, or you'd never be able to get past Aaron. Right. So there's this whole idea, um, which I think is very, you know, quite interesting for for uh, less well-known American players that are still very good, um, that they can design this specifically to beat certain players. Um, you know, they're also being uh, good at the things we discussed in more detail in this in this chat, um, but they could tailor not for the meta, but for the the top level of the meta, right. which was and then win the other games with player skills. So I think Dan Platt. Um, Who's a Canadian that did very well at LVO last year? He did. Or this year, rather. Yeah, um, he did. He's an expert. That's, he, he's really, really good at doing that. Right. So, um, and, and, yeah, anyway, that, that's. Oh, um, and, and yeah. I have a perfect example, another perfect example, a real fun one. Um, I, I have a buddy of mine, Jeff in Control Robinson. He played a mirror match with his Admech two years ago at the LVO against a gentleman by the name of Aaron Towler. Aaron Towler is a phenomenal player. He, he was much less well known back then. Uh, so Aaron Taller played played in control, and he had a, an Admech War Convocation list, but with Space Wolves, which was kind of an off-meta list, but it absolutely crushed Jeff round one. And Aaron Taller was playing for that, like I'm gonna play these, I'm gonna play these top players, and I'm gonna bring this War Convocation, but everyone's gonna know how to beat War Convocations. I'm gonna bring Thunder Wolves, and um, it's gonna be a weird thing. I've, I'm gonna win with my War Convocation, and when I play like the Jeff Robinsons and like the Nick Nanavadis you know, of the world, I'm going to beat them because I've got these this trick up my sleeve with the Thunderwolves. And when he played Jeff Robinson, who had a more traditional War Convocation list, he, he beat him round one, um, which is something that you're absolutely right, you need to do. Colin Watts, a guard player who's just arrived onto the scene, something he's been doing with his guard, uh, he's been catching people off guard, and, and you're absolutely right. So I, I agree that playing for the meta and planning for the meta at a large event like the LVO or the London GT or Nova is the wrong move. Right, because you know you're gonna play Chaos, you know you're gonna play Imperial Soup, like you know you're gonna play Eldar in some sort now, because Eldar are becoming more popular. But that's not the point. That you you're gonna play those anyways. You should already your list should already be designed just by designing your list to the format. You should already be able to beat those lists, and you should just those should be on the back of your mind, kind of just like as a, an afterthought, like. Like or subconsciously, you should already be designing those to beat those lists because you're designing a meta list that'll win. And then from then on, you have to make sure that you outplay all the bad lists. And, and I say bad lists, maybe not. Well, you have to outplay all the lists that the offbeat lists, like the three night lists or the, the random space wolves list you'll run into, or maybe like Blood Angels jump pack marines. That's a list that got Reese uh, last year. Some dude brought like 60 jump pack Blood Angels jump pack marines at a seventh edition tournament and beat Reese. And Reese was like, I I don't know how I lost to this list. The lists like that, you're gonna run into a list like those. Do you just you just have to understand the format when you run into a list like that, and you can't assume that you're going to run into those lists all the time. It's just you can't account for the amount of, of parity in the in the 40k scene, especially now with more codexes dropping. There's going to be a lot more variety. Um, so if you plan on making it to the top tables, 
you you know for a fact you're gonna see chaos chaos soup uh nick donavati matt root um who, who's another prominent chaos james carmona uh ryan mead who just made the top tables they're all running essentially the identical chaos list right they're all running very very similar themes very similar units and then on the flip side you've got people like aaron along and uh brandon grant who are running imperial soup lists um uh tyler devries right so you have these players on the flip side who are going to lvo and um i i doubt any of these players will travel to the london gt i would like to see more americans go to the london gt because it seems like every time i play someone from the uk i get smashed right it, it's, <laughs> it, it's true it's it's happened zach i think you're the only brit i've ever beaten um and oh thanks yeah it's been really good <laughs> um and um no, I mean, it, 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 we've got about 20 to 30, I think, Americans coming this year. Um, nice. I know uh, definitely a couple of well-known people have bought tickets. I actually flip up on the um, on the web store. Um, and I know a number of people, Andrew, um, Gonyo, and Reese, and a number of people have discussed uh, potentially attending. Obviously, it's still six months away, so there's a little bit of planning to be done. But uh, I have no doubt that when we publish the player list uh, a couple of weeks before the event, that uh, there'll be a large number of people that are well known to the American nice. scene on there. Nice, nice. And hopefully they'll bring they'll bring the trophy back where it belongs. But yeah. that that aside, uh, if you're interested in the London GT or if you're interested in anything else Zach has to say, uh, I was just checking out his blog WarhammerTactics.com. I like it because Zach and his writing team tend to put out offbeat tactics articles. Not you know not the normal like like top tens or like berserker tactics they they you know they use a lot of there's a lot more finesse tactics articles things like things like this very topic the differences between not just how to win a large event but the differences between trying to win a large event and winning like a super mega event right like this is this is a perfect example of the kind of things that Zach talks about on warhammertactics.com so I definitely suggest checking that out and Zach if anyone would like to attend the London GT how do they go about doing that so the place to go to find out all the information is our website. It's www.lgtpresents.co.uk. And on there you'll find all the information about the 40k AGT as well as our narrative events, agency Sigmar events, uh, Inquisitor, Warmaster, Epic, and uh, much more. So yeah, go there and check us out. How far away are you guys from Warhammer World? It's two hours. So we're nice. doing a day trip, so leaving first thing in the morning, back uh, sort of early evening, late evening sort of time. I think we should take all. I think we should take your top thirty-two at two Warhammer World and play pickup games there on that massive terrain. By uh, by, what do you mean frontline? Uh, I'm gonna put the bill, yeah. Uh, maybe we'll see. Well, there'll probably be a community. <laughs> we'll we'll crowdfund it. <laughs> okay, cool, but, cool. But I'll set up a Kickstarter. There you go. Boom. Uh, London competitive players take over Warhammer World will be the the name. It, it'll it'll be awesome. We'll have some poor 12 year old who who's attending Warhammer World. He dragged his parents out there. And he wants to play a game with his Ultramarines, and then he plays Andrew Gagno as a, for a pickup game and absolutely gets smashed. And then he never plays again. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, Mike, Mike, uh, if, if Mike Brandt uh, from Nova comes over, I'll be giving him a challenge game because he's always too busy at Nova. So. Uh, Actually, the Monday at Warhammer World, I'll get to game uh, myself over the course of the convention. So, yeah, if anyone does uh, want to come, who's listening, 
uh, and fancies uh, getting smashed, then ping me an email, and I will, uh, by all means, throw there some dice. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, uh, Zach, thanks for coming on, man. I know you know you're a very very busy guy, and I really appreciate you coming on and throwing this idea out to me. And also, if you are interested in going to the Las Vegas Open, I've got to do a shameless plug here. If you like the London GT and if you like the idea of these large super tournaments, the Las Vegas Open is the largest one, the largest singles event here in the United States. It's the, the big Super Bowl of the ITC, which is, of course, our independent tournament circuit where we rank players. And then at the end of every year, we have a seasonal champion that wins a big old check for multiple thousands of dollars. Super cool. Las Vegas Open is the culmination of that entire season. It should be a lot of fun because Chapter Approved is coming out in December, uh, which means the, the meta is going to shift dramatically. So you're going to have this large, large 400-plus tournament with people who who have basically these untested lists and all the best competition in the world. So it, it should be insane. There's going to be a lot of coverage. They blast. I imagine the London GT is also going to stream and have lots of coverage as well. So it's it's going to be an exciting new season for next year. I'm I'm really pumped. Uh, we we obviously we have Adepticon uh, in the in I think a month to a month away from the London GT. So we'll have Adepticon, then the London GT, uh, and then we'll move on to the rest of the tournament circuit in the summer. And then of course there's the fall tournament circuit, which is separate. It's it's going to be a blast. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be a great season. I think you know once the meta stabilizes, the ITC will be more representative of of you know the uh, the eighth edition uh, game. But yeah, as you say, if, if people do want to you know, maximize their points um, in the ITC next year, we're, I believe, the second largest ITC event in the world after your very own LVO. Yes. So yeah, if, uh, if players are serious about winning, um, head on over uh, across the pond. It's uh, certainly cheaper than you would expect, and uh, Brits are far more polite and uh, <laughs> nicer than, <laughs> than you might have heard. They're uglier, but they're, they're nicer. That's yeah. <laughs> We've certainly got worse teeth. <laughs> All right, Zach. Before I let you go, I'm going to ask you two quick questions. Uh, first question: mm-hmm. Are you guys going to cap out at the London GT? The 40k event will certainly cap out. Uh, I at 350. I think we're we're not far off that now. Okay. So um, the the convention itself uh, probably as well. Our okay. Necromunda event, I think, is going to is going to blow up. So don't dawdle, guys. Second question. You played Eldar against me at Nova. Uh, you, you seemed kind of kind of bittersweet. Like, yeah, you got to play Eldar, but no, they weren't quite as good. And I know you were a playtester, so you, you know more than the the layman, the average person. So how do you like the new Eldar Codex now? Uh, I think it's the best uh, currently out. Uh, we've had 200-person GTs in the UK, uh, one this weekend, one weekend before. Both won by the same Elder list, which was uh, Hawks, 60-odd Hawks, and 30-odd Reapers. Um, I think that's very much the list to beat. Um, those were events won by uh, Alec Harrison, of course, who won the LVO a couple of years ago, and uh, my buddy, uh, Matt Evans. So, yeah, I think Elder at the moment, very strong. They've got a triple box for every problem, um, but we have half the codices out yet, so whether or not they'll still be dominant, uh, in the months to come is, is a different story. All right, on. Thank you very much for coming on, Zach. Have a good one. No worries. Thanks a lot, Papa. Bye.